you ever had one of those days when just everything went wrong? Everything. It didn't matter what you did. Everything just kind of went askew. Uh, the car wouldn't start, so you were late getting to work. And when you finally got to work, your computer crashed. And after your computer crashed, you spilled coffee all over the computer keyboard. And after you spilled coffee all over the computer keyboard, you looked at your watch, and it was only 8.15. And the day went downhill from there. We, we all know that, that that wasn't really a curse, but sometimes it feels like that. It just feels like uh, somebody put a curse on us for that particular day. But we recognize, you know, that's just the ups and downs of life. We're going to have good days, we're going to have bad days, and we're going to have days that are somewhere in between. But we need to understand that all of us, all of us stand under a curse. Really. It's much worse than we may realize. But Paul reveals the good news that Jesus has saved us from the curse. He describes it here in Galatians chapter 3. We're going to start reading in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Christ took our curse so that we might live free. First of all, we need to understand what the curse is. We've been reading through this letter that Paul writes to believers in the city of Galatia. He is writing in part to help them understand what salvation truly is. There was a false teaching that was running rampant through that particular area that uh, taught that in order to be saved, you not only had to receive Christ as your Savior, but you also had to follow a a series of, of rules and regulations. And if you lived up to all of those rules and regulations, then indeed you would be saved. And Paul recognized how dangerous that was to add anything to what Christ has already accomplished for us on the cross. And so much of Galatians deals with that very specific issue, and that is the case here in this passage we're looking this morning. In this passage, Paul identifies the problem, and we've been looking at this over the last couple of Sundays, that no one is able to follow all of God's commandments perfectly. We all fall short, in fact, woefully short, of being everything that God has commanded us to be. He describes that reality as a curse. In verse 10, he says, All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Now, Paul's quoting there from the book of Deuteronomy. We saw last Sunday how this was a very familiar passage as well as several other passages that Paul quotes from in in this particular part of his letter to the Galatians. This is found in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. The fact is we're not graded on a curve if we have not fulfilled every single part of the book of the law, every single word of God's command. If there is anywhere that we have fallen short, 
then we have broken the law in full. And we all know that we've not only fallen short in, in one area, we've fallen short in all kinds of areas. That, that's not a new discovery. Paul quotes from another familiar passage. Uh, it was in the book, the, the Prophecy of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, in verse 11, he quotes that here in Galatians chapter 3. He says, Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because, and here's the quote, the righteous will live by faith. Paul says, I'm not describing anything new to you. This isn't something that just came out of the blue. This is what God's Word has always said. It's not like Jesus came and all of a sudden changed what the Scripture said. No, it's what the Scripture has always taught. The grounds for righteousness have always been faith. We, we, we saw last week that Paul looked back to a very familiar figure from Jewish history, someone that everyone that he's writing to that comes from a Hebrew background would be very familiar with this person, Abraham, and how even Abraham was saved through faith. That even Abraham, the pinnacle of, of following the Jewish law, even he attained righteousness not by the things that he did, but by what God did for him, by accepting God's forgiveness and grace by faith. That was something that even the rabbis of Paul's day would have understood. That even the false teachers of Paul's day, they would have agreed with this. It's one of the reasons why they hung so dearly to their relationship by, by birth to Abraham. Because they recognized that, that Abraham was this pinnacle of righteousness, something to which they sought to attain. But don't be too quick to condemn them. Same thing happens today. Many people, if you ask them, are you a Christian? They'll say, well, sure I am. And then they will follow that with a statement like, well, I'm a member of such and such church. Of course I'm a Christian. Now, obviously, you can be a Christian and be a member of a church. In fact, if you are a Christian, you should seek to be a member of a local fellowship, working and serving with other believers, seeking to share God's good news with the world. Absolutely. Christians should be a part of a, a fellowship of faith. Christians should be a part of a family of God. Christians should be a part of a church. But being a member of a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being related to Abraham made you saved. And that's the central problem. It's what the Bible calls a curse that no matter what we do, no matter how many churches we join, no matter how we try to live what God has commanded us to do, we always wind up falling short. We've all broken God's command. Too many look at, at God's command uh, like an old car. You know, some folks love old cars. They just love to tinker around with them. And they, they, they see an old junker sitting by the side of the road and say, I can fix that up. 
And sure enough, somebody will come along, they'll, they'll buy it, they'll, they'll take it home, and they'll start working around in the engine, get it running again, they'll shine it up, and put in some new seat covers, put in some, some new upholstery, make things look real nice. Sure enough, they'll get that thing going again. Some people think that's the way salvation works. They look at their life and say, yeah, I'm kind of broken down right now, but I can fix it. I can get in there and kind of tinker around a little bit, do a little bit better here and do a little bit better there, and I'll get it running again. That's the wrong analogy. We're not like a broken down old car. We're like a crystal vase created with such beauty and such wonder that's been dropped on the concrete and shattered into a thousand pieces. That's our curse. When we break God's command at any point, when we fall short of God's law at any point, we're like that vase that has been shattered. And and no matter how we might try to glue those pieces back together, we can never make it like it was. But there is hope. That's what Paul describes to The Galatian believers is what the Bible shows us today. Jesus restores what was broken. Jesus does what we could never do. Jesus fulfilled the law at every point, in every way. He lived an absolutely perfect life. And then, he did something amazing. Paul describes it beginning in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith, we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The concept of redemption. Now, for those of us who have grown up in church, that's a very familiar understanding, something that we we, we get. We've heard that word a lot. We've sung that word a lot. We've talked about that word a lot, so we get it. But, But folks who are outside the church being redeemed, that's not quite what they don't think. They redeem as a coupon at Walmart. They they don't understand what, what to be redeemed really means. In the New Testament day, this was a very common term, and this is the reason why we don't understand it today. The term comes from the practice of slavery. And in the New Testament world, it was a very common thing to see slaves. In fact, in the New Testament world, it was a very common thing to be a slave. There are some estimates that the majority of people in the Roman world were at some way or another a part of the, the slave uh, entity. They, they understood exactly what that was. If, if you weren't a slave yourself or if, or if you didn't own slaves yourself, you at least understood how it worked. And here's how it worked. An individual would enter slavery typically in one of two ways. They either would be born into slavery, they'd be born to someone who was a slave, and so they would be a slave themselves. Or something would happen in their life. They, they either would, would have a financial issue that would cause great difficulty in their life, 
or uh, they would have done some crime that was not quite so bad that they would be thrown into prison, but was bad enough that somebody needed to do something to them, or they would uh, simply uh, cause somebody to become angry enough with them that in order to get right with them, they had to do something. And the only way to, to clean that up, the only way to deal with their indebtedness, the only way to deal with whatever it was that they had done, they would be thrown into the slave system. And once you were in the slave system, there was virtually no way to get out. Because once you were in the slave system, once you became property of someone else, everything that you owned was theirs. You no longer had any possessions of your own. Everything that you owned was the property of your master. And you could not earn anything on your own. Because as a slave, if you were able to earn anything, if you did uh, do some craft or have some uh, service that you performed that normally you would receive payment for, whatever you were paid as a slave, it didn't come to you. It went to the master. And so there was no way for a person in the New Testament day who was in slavery, there was no way for them to ever earn enough to buy their own way out of slavery. It was unheard of. You simply couldn't do it. The only way to get out of slavery in the New Testament day was if someone bought you out of slavery and set you free. Someone went to your master and said, here's the money that you have invested in that slave. Here's all the money that you paid for them, plus all that they have ever made for you. Here's enough that you'll be paid back for what they're worth. And then as they bought you out of slavery, they then would say to you, okay, you're not a slave anymore. You're free. Now you can imagine that didn't happen very much. But what that was called was by the word that Paul uses here. That was a redemption of that slave. They'd been purchased out of slavery and now had been made free. Something that they could not possibly have done for themselves. Someone else did for them. So, so this word, and, and again, although for us in, in, in our background of church, we understand this word redeemed. We, we, we get that. But for people outside of the church, this is something that they have a hard time understanding. In the New Testament day, they would have gotten this immediately. Because again, everyone either was a slave, they owned a slave, or they knew a slave. And they knew how rare and how precious and how wonderful it would be to one day be completely beholden to someone else and then the next be free. Paul describes how we are in bondage to our sin. Again, the imagery here is, is it's not of a broken down car. It's of a vase that has been broken on the concrete. Impossible to put back together. But then somehow, through some miracle, there is the vase restored to all of its beauty. That's how rare Redemption was, and how beautiful redemption is. Jesus takes the impossibility of our broken life and 
puts us back together again. And that's the message we share. This is why what we do when we tell our friends and neighbors about Christ, why it's such an amazing thing. Because they recognize how broken their life is. They may not always admit it. They may not always act like it. They may on the outside seem to be, you know, hey, everything's great. No problem. I got everything I need. But on the inside, they realize how broken they are. And they try to put themselves back together. They try to put on a good front. But they, they realize, I can't get this right. And then we share a message. That Jesus has put the pieces back together again. Jesus takes our curse. He takes our punishment. He takes our brokenness. He takes our sin. And He makes us whole again. Not because we deserve it. Not because somehow we have earned it. Not because somehow we have made enough goodness in our life that we uh, allow God to work through. No. Jesus does what we don't deserve. He does what we can never buy. He simply gives it by His grace. Jesus takes what was broken and makes it brand new. That's what the gospel is. It is the message of what Jesus has done, that we were once broken in our sin, that all, not just a few, not one or two, but all have fallen short of the glory of God. That all of us are broken and in desperate need. But no matter what we try to do, we can't put it back together again. But in our brokenness, Jesus steps in. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That once we have recognized our brokenness, once we've recognized our need, once we have gone to Christ confessing that we desperately need what only He can do, Jesus steps in and does what only He can do. He makes us whole again. By grace, we are saved, not through our works, not through the things that we do, not through the ways that we might try to live up to Him, not by joining a church, not by reading the Bible, not by... Caring for poor people, although all of those are wonderful and worthy things that we should be doing, but none of them will make us right again. None of them will make us whole again. None of them will make us righteous. But by grace, we are saved through faith. Believing that Jesus has, in fact, done what only He could do. That He lived the life that we could not live. That He died not to pay the price for His sin, but for our sin. That He took our curse. By grace we're saved through faith. And that not of ourselves. It's a gift from God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
if by faith we simply accept that Jesus is who He says that He is, that He truly is the Lord of all, that He did in fact die on a cross and three days later rise again, and that He is now and forever will be Lord of all. If we make Him the Lord of our life, saying, Christ, I know how far I've fallen. I know I've made mistakes, but I accept the forgiveness that only You can give me. And now, for whatever time on this world You will lead me, and then throughout eternity itself, I will seek to serve You. As we make Him our Savior and our Lord, Christ comes into our life. He cleanses us. He forgives us. And He makes us brand new. Folks, all of us stand in need of that very extraordinary gift. And we all know people who desperately need that same gift who need to understand that Jesus Christ alone makes us whole. Heavenly Father, as we read these familiar passages of Scripture, as we hear these familiar words, sometimes the familiarity itself can can rob us of some of the extraordinary meaning that we have been redeemed. We were enslaved to our sin with no hope, with absolutely nothing that we could do to save ourselves. And You stepped in. You took our curse. You became sin for us. You paid the price. So that we could be put back together again. So that we could be made whole. So today we give you praise. And we would ask that that message would not only ring in our heart. But would ring out in our voice as well. That in the days to come we might share this message with everyone we see. For it's in Jesus name that we pray. Amen.